my gout flare up, so just trying to make my way up here. All right, good morning. Uh, let's go ahead and take a moment to pray, and then we will begin our message. Our Father, uh, we thank you for who you are um, and who you have been and who you will be to us. Uh, we pray that you would open our hearts uh, to hear what you have to say. Um, I just thank you that you do speak to us in uh, so many different ways and places, and so I pray that this could be one of them. Um, and I thank you so much for making us into a family when we were not a family. Amen. So during the season of Advent, we're going to take um, some time to think a little bit more deeply about the truths that we find in some of the hymns that we sing. Uh, and we're going to think about them not just with the rote memory or the nostalgia of the feelings that we associate with them, but we want to kind of allow these stories and words to uh, form us and to point us uh, into the direction of Jesus. And so this week we're going to talk a little bit about the story and a little bit about O Holy Night. So the story behind O Holy Night is actually a pretty intriguing one, um, and I think it's one that's worth looking into. So I'm going to go through it a little bit quickly. Uh, there's lots of uh, varying stories about the origin of this, and so kind of address some of those, uh, and then we'll move into talking about what does that mean for us and how does that point us to Jesus. So it was originally written as a French poem in 1843 called Midnight Christians, um, and like I said, there's a few different stories surrounding its true origin, but what we do know is that the poem was written to celebrate an event at a church um, and a Catholic priest essentially persuaded a well-known poet from the town to write a poem. Uh, less certain is whether this poet, and I'm gonna butcher his name, Poussaud Capot, was an atheist, although many of the stories uh, seem to reflect that he was maybe like an irregular churchgoer, um, but then later on in his life, uh, uh, he became, he was described as a social radical, a free thinker, a socialist, and a non-Christian. Uh, and this was kind of during a time in French history that was like pretty authoritarian, so those would have been not positive things. Um, so he wrote the poem while he was reading through the Gospel of Luke, um, which is important to come back to later. The composer of the song uh, was a guy by the name of Adolf Adam, um, and he usually, he was like actually very well known for writing secular operas, uh, operas that were performed in pretty big opera houses in Paris. Uh, but he was also, during this time, incorrectly profiled as being Jewish, uh, possibly because of his name, Adolf, um, and it was kind of a way to diminish uh, the popularity of or his reputation uh, because this song became increasingly popular. And in 1864, so just under 20 years after this song was written, uh, one Catholic journal of music uh, wrote about the song it might be a good thing to discard this piece whose popularity is becoming unhealthy. It is sung in the streets, at social gatherings, and at bars with live entertainment. It becomes debased and degenerated. The best would be to let it go its own way, far from houses of religion, which can do very well without it. Uh, so as this song was rising in popularity, some of the more prominent Catholic priests did not appreciate it, uh, particularly because of some of the messages behind the song, or in the song. Um, and so they kind of wanted to push it away, and so that's probably where a lot of this talk about Adolf being Jewish and uh, Capo being a, an atheist came from, as a way to say, like, 
the people who wrote this song didn't have anything to say. They didn't understand what was really what they were doing. But the song quickly spread uh, through Europe and into North America. And sometime in the late 1850s, an American minister, John Sullivan Dwight, published his translation, which is the song that we generally sing today. Um, and then during the Civil War, and even before, the song was used as a rallying cry for abolitionists in America because of the focus on liberation. And the song was also, uh, as a little tidbit, the first song ever broadcast on radio uh, for a general audience. So it has a pretty rich, a pretty rich history. Um, so you may know this, you may not. The season of Advent has five themes that we usually work through for each week. Um, hope, love, joy, peace, and then Christ. And this week we're going to focus a little bit of love. So how does a song that was written so long ago by those who maybe didn't even follow Christ point us to Jesus and point us to love? Uh, when I think about that question, I think about this line from the song. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. The longing and waiting in a world full of sin, pining for something or someone to come, is where the Jewish people find themselves in the time of Isaiah. They were waiting and anticipating the coming of their Messiah. They who were once a kingdom were now conquered, divided, and made captive. The world was full of sin. Isaiah 1 starts, call, starts, starts out with God calling out this evil. Hear, you heavens, and listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children. I raised them, and they turned against me. An ox knows its owner, and a donkey its master's feeding trough. But Israel doesn't know. My people don't behave intelligently. Doom. Sinful nation, people weighed down with crimes, evil-doing offspring, corrupt children. They have abandoned the Lord, despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned their backs on God. So here were these people, back in captivity, their kingdom divided into two, and their sin being made abundantly clear. Surely there were questions about how they would ever be free again. Had God abandoned his people forever? Captivity, by its very nature, robs a person of all of their worth. The enslavement of people requires that they're deemed less than human or less than the prevailing people. But the story continues as the prophet Isaiah spoke to the people. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So no, God would not leave his people captive forever. No matter how many times they turn their backs on him, no matter how often they send, he would love them. The promise is that God will liberate his people, bring them to a place of safety, and establish his kingdom. His kingdom will be one of peace, with all emblems of war being burned. The whole season of Advent is a reflection, as a time of reflection, as the people of God, we can be additionally waiting and longing for the Messiah to come, just as the Jewish people who are waiting for the Messiah. Normally, uh, I wait with deep anticipation for Christmas. It's my favorite holiday. 
and my favorite season of the year. I love all of the cold nights with the bright stars, the cheesy movies, the warm drinks, the carols, uh, giving and getting Christmas presents. Lizzie and I do like usually do a 25 days of Christmas with like a small activity every night. It's just like something I am deeply invested in and love. This year feels a little bit different. Uh, instead of wishing the days away to be in closer proximity to Christmas, I'm trying so hard to savor every day, wishing for more hours of light and more days with friends and more time to create memories here in Augusta with all of you. Uh, this is because of the way that the church has collectively lived out the statement that's painted on the wall out there uh, in the lobby. I've watched as you have strived to make the real Jesus known by being honest about our failures, by loving the way he loves, by serving the city for the good of all, and by inviting everybody into the family of God. So we're going to talk a little bit about loving the way he loves. That's what I've experienced here. That's what I've experienced in Augusta, specifically through this church. The opportunity to both love and be loved like Christ. We sing the song, we sing, long lay the world in sin and error pining until he appeared and the soul felt its worth. The soul feels its worth. What an example of what happens when we do make the real Jesus known by loving the way that he loves. To me, it's a picture of what happened in me through the way that this family has loved me like Jesus. Specifically, this church has helped me feel, my, helped me, helped my soul feel worth that I had not felt before. I've been engraced by a community that allowed me not only to be me, but wanted me to grow and pushed me towards that growth. When we encounter Christ's love, our souls know their worth. Jesus comes and we celebrate his coming. We are changed by his love. We know our worth and experience that transformation the transformation that comes when Christ comes, when he comes and establishes his kingdom and the church and invites us to work alongside of him. And honestly, if we let that be the end of the story, it's a great story. It's a good one. The love of Christ comes and we become better people, but then it really makes that love only for internal personal growth. Uh, we each become better versions of ourselves and in turn we maybe love one another a little bit better than we did before but it's missing something and has the potential to become an idol where we only focus on our own sense of transformation and growth at the exclusion of the kingdom of God. We become internally focused and we want to be better people, but it kind of just remains there. Then arrives what the song says is a thrill of hope. Why does the weary real world rejoice? Because there is something coming on the horizon, something new, something different, something long promised, a manual, God with us is here, and his coming is not only about the defeat of our personal sin, it's about liberating the whole world. For a moment, I want you to just imagine that you are in the shoes of our French poet. He's supposedly riding on a train to or from Paris, and he's trying to write this poem for the Christmas Eve midnight mass that's coming up. He's kind of detached from the church. Uh, he's reading a story that he might have some cultural understanding of from being in Mass, but probably doesn't have too much familiarity with. And you've started to read about angels visiting multiple people, a virgin birth, prophecies, even this guy Jesus meeting the devil in the wilderness. It's like kind of weird. You're trying to wrap your head around it. And then you get to Luke 4, and you read Jesus' first recorded sermon, and he quotes Isaiah 61. And Jesus says, 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today... This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Capo must have been transfixed by this because we hear it in the song. Truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. It might be easy to miss it in the context of that nostalgia as we're just singing these Christmas carols that point us to Jesus, or that point us to like our past and the things that we experience around this time. But we do see this deep, greater truth. Jesus' love liberates. When we talk, when Jesus talks about love, it is a radical and world-shifting love. It's not just about experience. It's not just the experience of knowing our worth and value. It's not just the warm feelings that we associate. Jesus' love is breaking chains, ceasing oppression, shifting the ways of the world on their head. It's breaking chains, ceasing oppression, and shifting the ways of the world on their head. Jesus tells the people listening that he has come to liberate the captives and set free those who are oppressed, and he's getting to work right now. He says, this scripture has been fulfilled right now, right now. The good news is that we are transformed internally by the love of God, but that we, are all, but that we also know the world can be changed by his love. The love of God is a love that liberates. It can't stand by watching oppression. In the proclamation of his mission, Jesus says that he's here to usher a great leveling system of all of the, or of all of the things that have been used to misused to oppress others. He wants to level the playing field. He wants us all to connect. Dante Stewart wrote this about liberation and love. We have to dismantle theologies that believe in freedom and love in heaven, but tolerate injustice and oppression on earth. Christians, it's not resurrection hope if it does not liberate, love, and make whole. Too often we believe in a theology of Jesus that reinforces power dynamics and oppression rather than resist and change them. He continues writing, the heart of a theology of liberation is not simply a God that frees us, but also a God that loves us and, that des and desires that we fully accept and become ourselves. A theology of liberation is also a theology of love. A theology of liberation is also a theology of love. The idea of love and liberation is something that we see uh, going hand in hand and evident throughout all of Scripture. God's love is shown through liberation. He liberates people from sin through sacrifices initially. He liberates the people from captivity multiple times. He calls himself the God who brought the people out of Egypt. He liberates them from captivity uh, later on in Babylon. Uh, and he even liberates multiple people, including his son, from death. So he is a God who is just breaking chains. Uh, he's ceasing oppression, and he's shifting the way of the world. On, their, on its head. We become, or so what happens when we feel the hope of a savior who has the power to liberate? When that happens, we become the people that we say we want to be. We're able to make the real Jesus known by being honest about our failures, by loving the way that he loves, by serving the city for the good of all, 
and by inviting everybody into the family of God. We put down all of our idols of safety and security, and we begin to lay our lives down for one another. Uh, so we're going to enter into a time of response, um, and we're going to have a few different opportunities to respond. Uh, every week at Redemption, we take communion, and if you're a believer, uh, we invite you to come and take communion. Uh, during this time when we're taking communion, we want to both remember and proclaim. We want to remember what God has done and who he is and proclaim that truth to one another. We also have the opportunity to reflect uh, to worship by giving. Uh, many of us do it electronically, uh, but this is also kind of a time to reflect that God has provided everything for us um, and that we can give a little bit back to him. Uh, we also will respond in singing, um, and we'll be singing O Holy Night. Before we close, I would like to uh, read two of the stanzas from the original poem, Midnight Christians. Uh, so this is from the original French well, it's in English. It's been translated in English. I'm not going to try to read French. That would be an absolute disaster. I'm going to read a direct English translation of the poem that Capo wrote. So if you just want to uh, hone in and listen to this. Midnight Christians, it is the solemn hour when God as man descended among us to expunge the stain of original sin and to put to end put to an end the wrath of his father. The entire world thrills with hope on this night which gives us a savior. People on your knees attend your deliverance. Christmas, Christmas, here is the redeemer. Christmas, Christmas, here is the redeemer. The redeemer has broken all shackles. The earth is free and heaven is open. He sees a brother where there once was but a slave. Love unites those who restrain the sword. Who will tell him our gratitude? It is for us all that he was born, that he suffered and died. People, stand up, sing your deliverance. Christmas, Christmas, let us sing the Redeemer. Christmas, Christmas, let us sing the Redeemer. So as we reflect on the hymns of Christmas, my hope is that you can see the song in a different light. Uh, as we sing about the holy night that Jesus came to earth, embodied God in flesh, uh, may we consider how loved we are and let our souls feel their worth. May we consider how we might love the way that Jesus loves. Let's ask those questions. Where can we lay down our weapons? Where can we reject the systems that are enslaving our brothers and sisters? And where can we work to end oppression? Where can we participate in love as liberation for all? All right, I'm going to uh, pray, and then we'll have the band come back up and enter into our time of response. Our Father, you are uh, strong and powerful, uh, and you hate oppression, and you hate the diminishment of other people. Um, and you love us. You love us so deeply and dearly, and for that we are so thankful. Uh, we see the ways that you love us, and you see the ways that you uh, will not stand to see people hurting. And you invite us into that. You fulfill it, and you invite us in. So today, uh, would you let our hearts be open to the places 
that we see the deep oppression in our city and in our own lives and in our families? And would you invite us into that? Would you invite us into breaking chains and shifting the ways of the world? Would you invite us into setting free captives uh, and restoring sight to the blind? Would you allow us to come and work alongside of you? Uh, we thank you so much for the time that we have today and throughout this month to reflect on who you are and the way that you've changed our lives and changed uh, the city that we live in and changed the world. And I pray that you would uh, just continue to make that clear to us um, and continue to allow us to love like you love. 